Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. I hear that wind-up every week, and I don't know why it just struck me all of a sudden. I Hearing Rob Gronkowski talking about putting his junk back on, just, I just spat all over the all over the studio. Bobby does a good job of cleaning up. Everything smells nice and Lysoled when we get here every week, and then I just go ahead and spit all over the place. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises. Uh, he, at some point, has to start using Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner for mergers and acquisitions, because Bronstein Properties continues to grow. He's picked up uh, Madai College uh, as a... Uh, as a client, he's teaching sports journalism there. The Associated Press, the Niagara Gazette, the Buffalo News, a lot of acquisitions going on there. We also have Matthew Fairburn. He should be using CTBK for all of the money that he's been making. Wow. How would I find How did you that? know I was going to mention a money? Is that you I were just, just ready to go I no matter a, what I said? Yeah, I have a lot of uh, a lot of these cuts over here so. He's starting to read us a little bit. He's starting to finish my sentences. <laughs> yeah, I'm really That's Bobby Rosati, the producer. And uh yeah, we're happy to be brought to you by CTBK. Uh they're based uh, in Amherst, but you can use them around the world. 25th anniversary this year. No surprises billing policy for them. They have a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions, and uh, again, I, I keep hammering it. Mergers and acquisitions will be had by by me. I will be using CTBK at some point. I've never merged or acquired a business, <laughs> but that's a goal of mine. It's now on my bucket list. Sounds that like is a like, threat. That's like ultimate power. I'm just going to acquire you. You should acquire the Jerry business. Sullivan show. Ooh, you think? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. It'd be I'll just acquire it. <laughs> Just running the show. Yeah, add it to my empire, It'd my media empire. Yeah, like a, a network. It's dildo week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the New England Patriots are coming to town, which means uh, the tradition of throwing a dildo on the New Era field turf uh, is on the line. And it's not a challenge I'm throwing out there. In fact, I'll be a story about it tomorrow at The Athletic. Uh, it's probably not a good idea to do it. Uh, based on the technology that they have at New Era Field, um, really, technology is hindering more people. Dildo well, technology? should be. They have this. <laughs> they have the ability. What they do is they have. They can film. They record everything that happens within the bowl of the stadium, meaning everything in the stands. And with the high definition cameras that they have, if something happens, they can within seconds go to that place. They can rewind it, pause, enhance the image. You know. Uh, wow. 
um, zoom in yeah, yeah. and they can look at the face of the person who just did whatever it was, whether it's, wow, you know, whether it's dildos this week, but yeah. usually it's throwing beers on the field, getting into a fist Fights fight, doing stuff like that. So wow. last year, you may recall, there was a guy who uh, threw a sex toy onto the turf and uh, was arrested and appeared the next day in his orange jumpsuit <laughs> at Erie, Erie County, uh, uh, in front of an Erie County, uh, what do you call it? I was looking for, what's the word for a judge, an arbiter? Arbit- no, what's the word I'm looking for? A uh, It's like an old-fashioned oh, word. Oh, I know what you're trying to Damn it. Not like uh, just justice, justice, justice of the peace. Of the peace. No, there's another word. Yeah, there is for it. Um, you know, not like it's like like constable, but not that a constable is more of a police officer. Anyways, <laughs> Roger Goodell. Yeah, well, Roger Goodell. How about this? The original guys who threw the dildos got a letter from Roger Goodell banning them from all stadiums. Really? They're not allowed to go into any stadium. Oh, they're sucks. if they're caught, it's trespassing. And they get arrested for extra charges. Oh, too bad. Anyways, lest anyone in there, I mean, look, you want to talk about Tom Brady, you want to talk about two teams going 3-0 and uh, for supremacy in the AFC East, you want to talk about Josh Allen, maybe you want to talk about what's going on with the Bills defense going up against this measuring stick of the Patriots. Let's not forget the dildo. A different kind of measuring stick. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's puny. <laughs> Where are we with these uh, Buffalo Bills as we do enter uh, New England Patriots Week at New Era Field? Fans, they don't seem to be out of line in their expectations. I'm not getting a sense that they are awash in Bills fever. Uh, they obviously they're they're excited about the team, but I don't I don't see any kind of. Uh, misguided expectations heading into this game. Like, all right, here's our time. We're going to finally show the Patriots who's boss. It seems to be a little bit more of a uh, a cautious optimism about the Bills. I don't sense really big expectations that they're going to remain undefeated after this week. Um, anyway, that, that's just my sense from from the fans. Well, there's a few things I think that play into that probably number one is that they've been fooled too many times before where it's been the year that they're going to topple the Patriots and then it just doesn't happen Tom Brady and Bill Belichick win more often than not uh, more often than they've beaten any other team I believe and and the other thing I think is you know people are realistic about what the three and0 start means given who they've played against but I think there's also a sense that and Lorenzo Alexander even said it today that it's not necessarily a make or break game. You know, you don't need to beat the Patriots for this to be a successful season. You don't need to beat the Patriots to get to the playoffs. And you really don't need to beat the Patriots to even consider yourself a, a good team. So the stakes don't feel that high to me. But there is always that sense of, yeah, if if they pull it off, what it would mean and what, what attention it would bring. But if they lose, well, they'll probably be able to go down to Nashville the following week and beat the Titans, potentially. So they can get right back on track quickly. Would you say then the stakes maybe are a little bit higher for the fans and the people emotionally invested in this game and you know what it would mean to win? I would say if you're throwing your emotions into whether the Bills, if you're putting those on the line 
for the Bills to beat the Patriots, and you're you're asking for it, really. And yeah, the stakes are higher because there have been times in the past where it feels like the community and the fans and even the team put so much into one game that the letdown can be really extreme. And like Tim said, I don't know if I get that sense at the moment from the fans. It's still early in the week, but I don't really get it from the locker room compared to a few years ago when, you know, Aaron Williams and Marcel Darius and everybody else was talking about that first Patriots game in 2015. It seems like they're taking a more level-headed approach to this one. Yeah, I didn't sense any kind of tightness. Uh, nobody seemed uh, particularly wound up in the locker room today when I was in there. And, of course, I have a tendency to go to the more um, level-headed guys, I guess. You know, I had a nice, as I do, Lee Smith and I had a nice conversation, which usually turns into a second and a third and a fourth conversation. Um he gave me his thoughts on the dildo tossing too, because this is a tradition that uh, began after he was uh, after he'd left the Bills. So now he comes back, and I I prefaced my discuss my I started it off. I said, uh, "Are you aware of this tradition uh, that it happens with, from the fans when the Patriots are in town?" And he just looked at me with this goofy smile. He's like, "No, what?" <laughs> so it was funny to be able to clue him in on on what this is all about. Now that what what the Patriots Bills rivalry has become, but here's the thing too: you have two three and O teams. Uh, I I keep bringing up the dildo because I I find first off the word dildo is funny. It's funny to say, and it's just it's funny to hear. Good I'm to sure. have an excuse to say it to say a dildo, right? But it's three and O teams going up against each other. I think Bills fans should probably act like they've been there before, right? And I know it's been a long time, Bills fans, but. If you think that your team is ready to establish itself in the AFC East, and as Matt alluded to, if they can somehow win this game, you're looking at 4-0 with a win over the Patriots and a win over the New York Jets. You're 2-0 in the division. And if you're able to beat the Patriots, then I think whether it's justified, whether you're going to start getting some Super Bowl talk. And I know that may sound outrageous, but from national media, if you're 4-0 and with a victory over the Patriots, then they're going to start talking about who the Super Bowl contenders are. You're a quarter of the way through the season. You're four games into the 16. Not the quarter poll, by the way. This is my annual reminder that four games is not the quarter poll. The quarter poll is four games remaining in the season. Is it the three-quarter poll? I guess. I guess it would be the three-quarter poll. But a lot of people start after the after week four. You see uh, my uh, my award winners at the quarter poll, like you know that first off. Speaking of polls, I'd be you know <laughs> speaking of dildos. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of dildos. I mean, if you have four games, you're going to start talking about who the MVP is with twelve games to go. I mean, that's some of the laziest journalism you'll see. Do you think? But Josh Allen will have his quarter poll MVP trophy if he is able to win it. It well, Do you think guys are thinking about that this weekend? Like, hey, I need a big game if I'm going to win the quarter poll MVP. Trent Edwards has one of those. He absolutely does. He was, uh, he was, if not MVP, he was quarter poll All Pro. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look. First to see. team, there might have been second se- team quarter poll All Pro. Maybe somebody like uh, Ricky Williams was tearing up the league, or Priest Holmes back then, Ladanian Tomlinson back in that day. So maybe not MVP, but certainly All Pro. Um, 
does Josh? Yeah, I guess Josh Allen is. Uh, he's he's going to be in be, the running if he wins be this the, game. He'd be the dar- one of the darlings of the NFL, and he's starting to turn into that because of. I think it's especially from people who don't watch a Bills game from start to finish. If you're watching the highlights and you see what Josh Allen's able to do in weeks two and four, or I'm sorry, weeks two and three to come back uh, to to, or I'm sorry, one let, and three, one and three. I'll, but before the end of it, I'll have all the combinations down. <laughs> Weeks one and three, the comebacks that he needed to essentially bail himself out of uh, to win the games uh, for the Buffalo Bills. I think there are a lot of people out there who see the swashbuckling style and, and probably think a little Brett Favre-ish uh, type, uh, but he's putting himself in these positions, and I don't know that the national analysts necessarily see that. Um, they, they'll look at the stats, the final numbers, and say, oh, these are pretty good, uh, but you need to understand the entire body of work that we've seen from Josh Allen has been so uneven, so up and down, uh, that it's still a bit disconcerting. Uh, so, but four and zero with a win over the Patriots. That Maybe, would, that'd be pretty big time. It would be. I think you're probably looking at if that were to happen, it depends on what happens on Sunday. If, if the bills were to beat the Patriots, I think you still might want to look on the defensive side for whoever the team's MVP is. Who's been the MVP so far? I know we just said how stupid it was <laughs> to do it after four games. So how about we do it through three? Who? I, I'm not asking MVP. All right, let me take that. Let me drop it down a notch. Who's been the best player so far? Micah Hyde, maybe. Micah yeah. Hyde or Jordan Poyer. Tredavious White's played pretty well. Um. I mean, it has to be somebody on the defensive side of the ball because I think they're not 3-0 and or even close to it without the defense. Jerry Hughes, maybe? Hughes has been good. To me, those safeties really make everything go for them on defense, and it's hard to pick one or the other because they work so well together, but it's funny how they've become kind of the, the most valuable part of the team and the most valuable part of that defense when, when they got signed, it was just a t- couple of throw-ins it felt like and then all of a sudden these are the pillars of this team so I would say one one of those guys probably Micah Hyde would be my pick but it wouldn't be it would be hard to pick Josh Allen even though he's had those those fourth quarter moments the peaks and valleys have been too much to to handle and have almost cost them two games really I know they haven't cost them because of his fourth quarter heroics, but he wouldn't have needed those heroics without the turnovers earlier in the game. So it's a weird it's a weird uh, balancing act there. We're going to have Joel Staniszewski on later in the show, of course. He's always uh, on the line from Vegas uh, for us during the NFL season, and he's going to break down the game for us as he always does. And he does it, obviously, from a betting standpoint. He can view it from a handicapper or an odds maker's perspective. But he also has some pretty good football like it's common sense and it's kind of basic stuff, but he always happens to mention something from a football standpoint that makes you think, oh yeah, that's true. Um, and we and you do always end up wondering a few points during the weekend, not in every game, but enough that it becomes a common and recurring statement to say, how did they know? out in Vegas. How did they know that that was going to be the exact number or a game that you thought was totally out of whack and it really does come down to yeah. that one play yeah. that would give you, you You're know, like, what the hell? break even on the spread or they the total. They always know. 
they always know at least how you should bet. Not necessarily right. who's going right. to win, but how you should bet. That Penn State UB one was spooky. Penn State won by 32, and it was a 31-point spread. Oh, yeah. I mean. That's nuts. And like like you said, every week in the NFL, it seems like there's four or five that when you first look at the lines, you're like, this is stupid. Like, why are the Cardinals favored here? And then they win by just just the right number. It's 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 a little spooky. So the Patriots are favored uh, heading into New Era Field, as you would expect. Uh, the Patriots have been tearing it up through their first three games, whether they have Antonio Brown or not. Uh, regardless of what's going on in their backfield, they just cycle through running backs. It doesn't seem to matter. Uh, and the defense has been playing very well. So uh, we're going to get into more X's and O's talk, uh, break down the Bills-Patriots matchup throughout the show. We're going to have Tyler Dunn from Bleacher Report on later on in the show, in addition to Joel Staniszewski, maybe a surprise or two. Uh, We have a couple of uh, lines uh, dangling in the water right now. Uh, We'll see who bites. We have a couple of guests we're trying to land. Uh, But... uh, I also need to point out that the word that I was looking for earlier was magistrate. Oh. The magistrate, yeah. which is something that goes along with the constable, you know, like an old timey. The local magistrate. Word. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, this guy who threw the dildo on the field went in his orange jumpsuit in front of the county magistrate <laughs> last year. And the bills are saying if you decide you want to do this, you're going to get caught, you're going to get banned for life, and you're probably going to get embarrassed. Yeah. I mean, think of the girlfriends you may have in the future or jobs that you apply for and they Google your name. You're the dildo guy. Yeah, you, yeah. Ah. He was a dildo. Yeah, he was a dildo tosser. Here's a question you might know the answer to. What do they do with those dildos? Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> well, that is a good question. And now I need to know. I'm not going to be able to file my story until I get that piece of information. <laughs> So check it out at the end. Is there a dildo hall of fame that they? (laughs) Well, now you're banned. I assume they don't give them back. Well, it's evidence. Maybe it's maybe it's turned over as evidence. It's like, all right, we're gonna have to arrest you, and that's one of the things you turn in. (laughs) Or it gets uh, mentioned as evidence in the courtroom. (laughs) Like, Your Honor, I'd like to submit as evidence (laughs) Exhibit A. (laughs) Fingerprints are all over it. (laughs) Exhibit DNA. Exhibit eight, maybe. All right, we're going to have uh, more Patriots talk, um, basketball talk, hockey talk, honky talk. guy stuff. Yeah, we're going to talk guy stuff, dildo tossing, <laughs> and much, much more on the That's Tim funny. Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, maybe they wanted, maybe CTBK wanted to take this week off. I yeah. don't know. At least that segment. <laughs> Sit out. <laughs> All right. More, uh, more after this on Sports Radio 1270 The Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Josh Allen 
he told me once he was looking forward to not just playing Tom Brady twice a year, but beating him twice a year. That's the swag that the guy came into the NFL with. This was before he'd even reported to the Bills for minicamp. I was out in Fireball, California, and he kind of said it to you know with a with a wink type thing. You know, it wasn't like he was guaranteeing it like Joe Namath or Mark Messier. But Josh Allen's about to go up against the Patriots here in his second NFL season. But let's talk about what the Patriots' defense has done through three games. The Patriots rank first in the NFL in points allowed, 5.7 points per game on average. That ranks number one in the NFL. They have recorded the most sacks, 13 through three games. They have allowed the fewest yards on average per game, 199. They are allowing the fewest rushing yards per game, 36.7. They are allowing the fewest passing yards per game at 162 a game. So this Patriots defense has been no joke so far. Going up against a second-year NFL quarterback who didn't even play a full 16 games last season. So I thought to look it up, how young quarterbacks have fared against a Bill Belichick defense. Now, of course, I'm including the Tom Brady era, 2001 onward. The Patriots over that time have a 792 winning percentage. 792 winning percentage in the regular season. When going up against a quarterback in his first or second season, their winning percentage goes up 30 points. 822. Quarterbacks in their first or second season have a record of 13 and 60 against the New England Patriots. For those who are 24 or younger, Josh Allen is 23. Quarterbacks who are 24 and younger, I'm even adding an extra year on there. They are 12 and 51 against the Patriots. That gives the Patriots an 8-10 winning percentage or 18 points over uh, their uh their overall record. So clearly, they do much better against young quarterbacks. There's a struggle there. Uh, However, Matt Fairburn asked me this before we came on the air, who are some of these quarterbacks that have pulled it off? And it's not exactly a, a gallery of bronze busts. It is... Now, who is it? Wait, let me make sure I have the right... These are quarterbacks 24 and younger who have beat the Patriots. There have been uh, only, it's happened 13 times. Mark Sanchez did it three times. Now, of course, that was the Rex Ryan Jets when they had a great defense. Guys like Darrell Revis and Chris Jenkins and drawing a blank on some of those other Jets defenders that they had. Calvin Pace. Bart Scott there. Bart Scott was the linebacker there. Yes, Um, some some stud defenders they had on that on those teams, which got them to back to back AFC championship games. So Mark Sanchez did it three times. Colt McCoy did it once. Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger, Colin Kaepernick, Drew Brees, Ryan Tannehill, Geno Smith did it. Patrick Ramsey did it. 
Chad Henney did it, and uh, Russell Wilson. He's pretty good. So you don't have to be a great quarterback. They can be had, these New England Patriots. And um, so that's that. Just my thought. Something to mull as the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen try to scratch out a victory on Sunday against the New England Patriots. That may be the bigger obstacle in this game. You know, it's easy to talk about Tom Brady and the challenge of going up against him and some of the weapons they have at receiver, the running backs that they have, and and it's a tough offense, but they're dealing with some injuries on that side of the ball, and the Bills' defense is good enough to take care of business there. But even if you slow them down, I mean, slowing the Patriots down is holding them in the, the low 20s in points. Getting more than 21 points against this Patriots defense will not be easy with the talent that they have. They have three cornerbacks. If you're into this sort of thing, Pro Football Focus has three Patriots cornerbacks graded among their top nine cornerbacks. Stephon Gilmore is ninth best, according to Pro Football Focus. Sean McDermott said he's the best today, which begs the question why he's not still a Buffalo Bill, but... They have the fourth best DVOA, which is football outsiders metric of, you know, measuring efficiency on both sides of the ball. Fourth best DVOA through three games of all time. So it's, you adjust it for opponent and whatever else because they've played some bad teams, but it's that side of the ball where they're relatively healthy and they have one of the great game planners in the history of football up against a quarterback who has shown flaws. In addition to some flashes of brilliance, he's shown a lot of flaws. And will he be able to adjust on the fly to whatever Bill Belichick throws at him? I I think that's the big question heading into this weekend. For the record, fellas, let me just run down the Patriots' opponents because I threw out some pretty – Heavy stats there regarding the defense and how great it's been. Yes, they have faced a couple of soft opponents, but they opened up the season with a 33-3 to victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger. That was before Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. So 33-3 to to be able to handle that team was impressive. 43 to nothing against the Miami Dolphins. That game was at Miami. That's what you'd expect as we're learning more and more about the Dolphins' uh, big deal. Uh, and then 30-14 to 14 over the New York Jets uh, without Sam Darnold uh, and some other pieces on the team there. So they've scored 106 points and given up 17. And <laughs> they've only allowed 20, 32 first downs through three games. Uh, so... That's pretty dominant, and, and and granted, all right. Let's throw the Dolphins game out of there. I have, I'll allow you that because the the next thing I'm about to say is these other guys get paid to do this too. They're professionals, but Miami Dolphins. Uh, that's we're looking at maybe one of the maybe the worst team in NFL history uh, by by some margin or by some measures. Uh, things like point spreads by that's believed to it's going to be the biggest cumulative point lopsided score. you know negative point spread for the season you're looking at with the Dolphins. Um, 
So, yeah, let's throw that out. But the New York Jets, I mean, the Bills struggled against the New York Jets. And you could say needed C.J. Mosley and Quinnen Williams to be out of the game for them to pull it off at the Meadowlands in week one. So They were up against Luke Falk, the Patriots were. Well. So there was that. Yes. They were down to their third quarterback. But, yeah, the defense is still the defense. And, you know, not exactly the, you know, the Bills had trouble in that game. And Sam Darnold was not himself so right the bills were up against a quarterback with mono right what's worse luke falk or sam Darnold with mono (laughs) probably luke falk (laughs) quite frankly yeah i'd imagine as long as sam Darnold's spleen hadn't ruptured then he's probably still better than luke falk even if it did he'd probably have a good five to ten minutes where he'd be better than him but it's yeah it's a a two-sided argument i guess right because some people are don't like the fact that People are downplaying this Bills start because of the opponents. But they're, they'd like to turn around and say, well, the Patriots aren't that dominant. Look who they're playing. So, The Patriots are still the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, if you're going to make a bet right now, you're, if, you go, if you went to look at the Vegas odds, it would show that New England is going to give you the, the least amount of money for your wager if you're going to pick a team to win the Super Bowl, number one. And any analyst, or I should say most analysts, would probably, that would be the safe pick. Yeah, you can say, well, the Rams will figure it out, and they'll, whatever. I mean, but uh, isn't the Patriots, isn't that the pick? You can so also what, go back to soft. last year's Super Bowl. They happened to win and it. they dominated. They happened to win it, yes. Defensively, they dominated a team that nobody could stop. An offensive coach that everybody thinks is the brightest young mind on that side of the ball in years to the point where people are hiring anybody and everybody who's worked with him. The Patriots, from a, if you care, uh, opened up as a six-point favorite to beat Buffalo. That's a six-point road favorite, of course. That game's being played at New Era Field. And the money has been coming in on New England, so it has now shifted. It's up to a seven-point uh, favorite. Uh, with a total, uh, uh, the betters seem to think that it's going to be a lower-scoring game. It opened as a 44-point total, and it's now down to 42 and a half. Uh, but for whatever that's worth, they are the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl for a reason. There, there's a difference between beating teams and just beating the hell out of them the way that the Patriots have. And I think that's where it, it's fine. You know, people can downplay that and people can downplay the Bills 3-0 start, but that's the beauty of games like this weekend is you find out pretty quickly. And and really this stretch of the Bills schedule, you find out who they are. Patriots, Titans, Eagles are their next three opponents. All you know, outside of the Patriots, I, I mean, the Patriots are beatable. Every team's beatable, but the Titans you probably should win, and the Eagles are a beatable team as well at this point. So we'll find out before long. That's that's generally how the NFL works. You can't hide behind strength of schedule or or anything like that for too long. And if, if you're good, then uh, there's plenty of chances to prove it, including this weekend. I think in breaking down this game, and, and we're talking about the Patriots a lot, and it, we, I guess we're throwing bouquets at their feet uh, 
a little bit uh, because we have, at least I have, in talking about them being Super Bowl favorites, you can't leave out the Kansas City Chiefs in that conversation. But like you say, Matt, they are the defending champions. Uh, they don't have a ton of changes on the roster. Uh, you're looking at ways that they have gotten better. Of course, they've, you know, they lose Rob Gronkowski, uh, but they've improved on defense. They have one of the better defenses. I think that's, you know, we're looking at a collision in the playoffs of Patriots Chiefs at some point. And I think that's the game that everybody would be looking forward to. And, uh, just a thought. I just wanted to throw out the Chiefs. I mean, the Chiefs are off to a pretty high-powered start. Their odds have improved. They opened as 7-1 to one favorites to win the Super Bowl. Or I shouldn't say favorites. The, the Patriots had the best odds at 13-4. to four. Uh, And then the Chiefs and the Rams were next at 7-1. to one. The Rams have slipped a little bit to 15-2. to two. Uh, The Chiefs have improved to 11-2. and two. The Patriots have dropped back a little bit, but still have the best odds at 4-1. to one. Um so the, the people are getting a little more excited about the Chiefs. They're a lot less excited about the Rams, and they're just a little bit less excited about the Patriots. Those are Do we pr- talk about gambling too much on the show? <laughs> Should Those we are talk crazy about it odds for the Patriots. That's not yeah. there's like no value yeah. at all. No, and that's what because the money's been coming in. You have right. to keep in mind that this money starts coming in. As almost as, as soon as the Super Bowl's over. Right. So people are of course throwing money at you know, as soon as they they learn that Tom Brady's coming back, so it's going to take a while. I think a lot of money's going to have to come out of other teams before the Patriots get moved uh, off a number too much. Yeah, I mean that's a that's such a most other sports you don't see, or most years in the NFL even, especially uh, you know years where people perceive the Patriots to be in a down year to have a four to one favorite to win the Super Bowl is this early in the season is kind of crazy. And they've dealt with some injuries that could hold them back. I don't know. It's it's tough to bet on a team at 4-1 to to win the Super Bowl. They're not that dominant. They're not that head and shoulders above. And they've got a quarterback who at any moment could be over the hill. The Chiefs, also 3-0. and and they have won their three games against some teams. Well, the first couple, you wonder. Jacksonville seems like it's uh, fallen apart a little bit, especially with this Jalen Ramsey situation, getting into uh, an argument and borderline shoving match with Doug Marone. Everything. I've been Gardner Minshew. I mean, how long is this guy going to be able to remain a, a hot item? Uh, Ten or fifteen years, I would think. <laughs> Uh, 40 to 26 victory over Jacksonville, Kansas city in week one. They then follow up with a road victory against, uh, Oakland 28 to 10. So like the bills, the chiefs, uh, start their season with, uh, back-to-back, uh, road wins and then handled, uh, at least the offense handled Baltimore's defense by putting up 33 points, but they gave up 28 and that was a harrowing triumph for uh, for uh, Kansas City in that game. They have Detroit this week. They're at Detroit. So three uh, three out of their first four games are on the road. Uh, they play the Patriots. We're talking about a, a, the playoff matchup. They are at New England on December 8th. So we're going to have to wait a while to see that. Um, but still, uh, that's that, that's turning into the juicy, uh, the juicy AFC matchup uh, that everybody's going to want to see. And uh, that's uh, we talked about 
the young quarterbacks and how they perform against Bill Belichick and uh, and the New England Patriots. Pat Mahomes, uh, did he win? Did he has he played them yet? Yeah. But, they lost, but, lost the playoffs. But they AFC. lost, and that's it. They didn't play in the regular season last year. Yeah. So, anyways, Jonah, this, anything to add? No. Have you been paying attention? In and out. <laughs> this could be the juicy AFC matchup. Have Bills, we considered Patriots? that? What if, if the Bills win this game, what does that do to the uh, flex situation late in the year? Because they still haven't decided whether the second Bills-Patriots game will be a Saturday game or a Sunday game, whether it'll be primetime, what That's it'll right. be. That's right. That's a possible flex. Just think about the— We haven't even booked that trip yet because we don't know when it's going to be. The implications it could have on—that game hasn't meant anything in quite some time, that late-season Bills-Patriots. Second-to-last game of the season, and— uh... The, the unfortunately the Patriots will be coming off a bye week because they play at Cincinnati, so uh, they'll be ready to go for the Bills if it comes down to that. But yeah, if the Bills can win this game, boy. Well, let's talk about that when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. We'll get into that. We'll have Tyler Dunn coming up, also Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas here on Sports Radio twelve seventy The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. On Twitter at 1270 The Fan. I wasn't supposed to put beef in the trifle. Taking your calls at 270 1270. Podcast available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and SportsRadio 1270.com. That's a lot of information to get in 30 seconds. Sports Radio 1270. The Tim Graham Show. The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operations need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. Prices shot out of the ground. Buy premium prices. On Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Take your calls at 270-1270. On Twitter at 1270-THE-FAN. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, or any other business operations. Anything you can imagine, Jonah Bronstein. How would I get a hold of CTBK if I wanted to merge or acquire or maybe potentially both? 
they're on Twitter at CTBK45, number one. That's a place that you can get them. Wait, that's not. It's CTBK45, period. Not number one after that. Right. No period. No period. (laughs) That's right. No period. (laughs) CTBK45 is their Twitter handle. Full stop. Or you can call them at 630-2400. That's a 716 area code because they're based here, but it doesn't matter where you are. They'll help you out. Around the world. For all those people listening in Malaysia and uh, Kuala Lumpur. Singapore. Trinidad, but not Tobago. No, no, no. Trinidad I'll allow. Tobago I will not. Mm. Hey, speaking of phone calls. Yes. Um, can we try to get Russ Brandon on the phone? Let me Let's see. see if he's available. Yeah, I can do that. Let me see where he's at. Thank you for calling New Era Cap. If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. For a company directory by name, press star. For the spell the last and first name, then press pound. For Q, press seven. For Z, press nine. For I, help, I, I press I have zero. a good feeling about this one. Yeah. For Russ Brandon. The chances. At I mean, we're going to get him. We're going to get him this time. I think. Come on now. Cancel, Come press on. Star. Wait while I transfer your call. Sorry, oh. Russ Brandon. Is not available. Sons of bitches. He would have been a good guy to talk to about the dildos. Oh, yeah. Why do you say that? <laughs> because, <laughs> well, he was around. He was in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. He was. He was, uh, he was there for the first incarnation of the dildo throw. It was under Rex Ryan. Those Buffalo Bills. Yeah, he would have been responsible for handling <laughs> the situation. Yes. Indeed. Speaking of people that would be good to talk to about dildos, we should probably see if we can get Rodak on the phone. An expert <laughs> in the field. <laughs> that is true. Rodak. There is a story that can't be said on the air. And now people are going to wonder. I mean, it could be said. Maybe Rodak could call Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) tell the story. There's nothing that would preclude us from an FCC standpoint from telling this story on the air. We could tell this story, (laughs) and there would be no repercussions from it regarding our bosses or the government agencies, obscenity standards, anything like that. Fines, right, we're good. Nothing. But it would probably, it would humiliate Mike Rodak. (laughs) Sort we don't of. want to do that. I, part of it, he, he we know Maybe about not. it because he wasn't he wasn't too ashamed to, to mention it at one point. If we called him right now, I wouldn't be surprised if he would tell oh, it himself. Oh, he would. He absolutely would not. <laughs> There's no way he would tell this story. I think you're. There is no you're way you're setting the bar too high for Rodak. There is no way he would tell this story if if he's listening right now and he wants to call in and and, and mention it. Bobby, you're calling him up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see if uh, send him a he's text. available. Send that way, a, we don't put him on the on yeah, the spot. Send him a text. I'll see, yeah, I'll see where he's at. You're gonna have to tell him why we're calling too, because we don't want yeah. him to call in and talk about his fantasy football. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's a specific. He'd be directive. walking in, and uh, he'd be walking into a buzzsaw if. Uh, 
I'd like his take on Bill's Patriots and what he thinks is going to happen Sunday and who he's rooting for and how emotionally invested he is in this game. <laughs> which jersey he'll be wearing, yeah, which Patriots gear he'll have on. All right, uh, Jonah, you were saying uh, during the break uh, there's a documentary coming out about that Niagara Falls basketball team that was so great with Johnny Flynn and uh, Paul Harris. Uh, what do you know about that? And uh, uh, fill us in on, on what you think we can learn from this. Well, yeah, I got to watch it last night. I got to screen a preview of the documentary. It's a half an hour documentary produced by Mars Reel and going to air on ESPNU at 8 o'clock Friday night. I wrote a story on the buffalonews.com if anybody wants to kind of get a sense of it, a preview story there. You said it's produced by Mars Reel. Mars Reel is, what a, is that? That's a company, it's a digital media company that puts out a lot of videos, high school basketball focused on, well, you know, YouTube, Twitter, Snapchat, all the different channels. And they, according to a Forbes article I read, they have 30 million views per month on these various videos. On you know, you could go back, you could see videos about is it Zion highlight Williamson, stuff yeah, highlights and mini documentaries like oh, this. Oh, but do, is do they is it recruiting based? It is somewhat content? recruiting based, and a lot of it is kind of just telling stories of you know Zion Williamson didn't need these videos to get recruited, but I think it helped maybe build his brand and tell his story and things like that. And that's where this started with it being about, you know, there's, I don't know how familiar you are, but there's three really good high school basketball players all from Niagara Falls. Who they were no all believed longer, to be NBA, well, no, have well, NBA futures. That's the, that's the old team, 2005, which had, did have Johnny Flynn, an NBA player, Paul Harris, very close to being an NBA player, maybe should have been, didn't catch a few breaks, some things with his jump shot, but there was that team in 2005, won a state federation championship in two of the six national polls were number one, so there maybe was a even discussion, claim to a national championship. Uh, there was even some discussion when he was a senior, and maybe even as a junior, that he could go straight to the NBA. Now, as long as, I mean, as ridiculous as that was, but I remember that being oh, a storyline. Actually, it's not ridiculous. They changed the rule. The year he could have went, he he would have, I think, went to the NBA. I don't know how high he would have been drafted, but he would have been drafted in whatever year that was, two thousand five. Uh, he was that good. He was a top ten recruit. He would have been in the McDonald's All American game, but there were some issues off the court, and he had been arrested when he was sixteen years old, and that's why he wasn't in the game. But he was that legit. He was, you know, he wasn't LeBron James, but he was maybe in that next tier of a high school star. Uh, you know, a top recruit, as good as it gets. It, there's ever been a blue chip high school basketball player in Western New York. You know, there's been Christian Leitner and some other great players, but Paul Harris, from a potential and hype standpoint, coming out of high school, was as good as it gets. Maybe he didn't get that much better at Syracuse, and that's kind of why his career didn't turn out the way some people thought it would. But coming out of Niagara Falls in 2005, nobody had ever seen we could call Keith McShay who covered those teams and he would say that you know never seen anything like that before or after and then you had Johnny Flynn who wasn't quite the star at that point he was only a sophomore but he became a, a player at Syracuse who went on and was drafted number six in the NBA draft one pick before Stephen Curry and people will talk about that and maybe joke about that now but at the time there wasn't a lot of talk that that was a bad pick People thought maybe Minnesota shouldn't have taken two point guards in a row like they did with Ricky Rubio, but nobody thought Johnny Flynn shouldn't have been drafted number six. In fact, some people thought he could have been picked by some teams higher than that, or if he didn't go six, he would have went seven or eight. But anyways, and not just that, there were seven Division One prospects on that team. 
one of them is James Starks, who went on and played football and then the NFL, Green Bay Packers, Super Bowl champion. Five guys who went on and played college basketball. And a seventh, Miguel Respress, who would have been a Division One basketball player but died from a – he had um, – I wish I could remember the exact term for it. It wasn't a heart attack, but he had, like Hank Gathers, the heart condition and died playing in an AAU game that following summer. If he doesn't die, he would have been a Division One player. So that's seven – Division one athletes on a public school team. This isn't a prep school recruiting from all over the state. It isn't a private school that gets the best players in town. These are seven Division one athletes all grew up within a five-mile radius of each other in Niagara Falls and was maybe, could probably could say, the best public school basketball team ever, at least that I'm aware of in this era. So they were that great team, 2005. It's been about, you know, it's been 14 years since then. Coming up about a few years ago, we started to learn about, uh, well, there's three players. One, Jalen Bradbury. His father, Carlos Bradbury, played for LaSalle High School in the early 90s. Uh, Roddy Gale, his father, Roddy Gale Sr., played for LaSalle in the mid-90s. Both those teams won state championships. And another player, Willie Lightfoot. And these players, you know, all were varsity basketball players in eighth grade, Roddy Gale and Willie Lightfoot were both all Western New York players last year as freshmen, which nobody's ever done that before. And they were supposed to really play together at Niagara Falls with some other good players and start a new dynasty and maybe be, you know, they don't have seven Division I basketball players like they did uh, 14 years ago, but they got three studs and some other good players, and it was maybe going to be another era like this. But it hasn't played out like that. Roddy Gale last year transferred to Lewiston Porter. Uh, Jalen Bradbury was at Niagara Catholic, came back to Niagara Falls last year. Now he's transferred to the Park School. Willie Lightfoot spent the last two years at Niagara Falls. He's now going to Sunrise Christian Academy in Kansas, one of the premier prep schools in the country. So now Niagara Falls has none of them. Not Niagara Falls has none of these players. And maybe gets one or two of them back at some point, possibly, but the idea that all three will play together at one school, I think that's not going to happen. What and, does the documentary explore, or get? Do they find any kind of common thread as as a, there was a problem here, or is this just following? Is it just telling? Uh, yes, the, the documentary does kind of explore how a lot of the community centers in Niagara Falls have closed down. The Niagara Falls Family YMCA, where Paul Harris says this saved my life playing here when I was young, and that there's a lot less opportunities for these players to, you know, stay off the streets and play basketball and, and stay on the straight path. And, but the kids got develop. to Niagara Falls High School. Yeah, there's other issues for why these players aren't That's at Niagara tough. Falls anymore. Well, what I mean, Bobby, is that, and Bobby knows because he's from that area, but what I mean is that you can't you can't blame the community aspect right. or the community center because they did at least get onto the team. Right, right. So there right. should have been something but that bonded is, them or like that held them together. There's some truth to that. I don't think that's a false narrative that Niagara Falls isn't a great place for all these kids to really be spending their time and going to school or that there might be better schools and better situations for them. I think from a social, academic standpoint, maybe not the basketball aspect, but – because you're talking about two of the kids going to private schools, so maybe they right. feel like and Lewiston Porter, one of the you know more affluent suburbs in Western New York, and sort of a different culture. And the the documentary explores a lot of how uh, growing up in the East Side of Niagara Falls and the temptations and the street life, 
how that pulled Paul Harris back several times and how there was potential for that and, and how with Jalen Bradbury and Roddy Gale, how they have strong two-parent households that have shielded them from sort of the negative influences in Niagara Falls. Willie Lightfoot not coming from that same two-parent background maybe hasn't been shielded as well. He's still pretty young, but that's a big reason why he's at this prep school in Kansas now. It's not all about playing for this premier basketball team. It's getting out of Niagara Falls. And one thing I noticed, uh, you know, I wrote for the Niagara, I still write for the Niagara Gazette uh, occasionally, and I worked there as a reporter and the sports editor for about seven years, is I talked to all of these players that were either still at Niagara Falls or elsewhere. You know, this was when Johnny and Paul and those guys were out of college. And the theme you'd hear from all of them is getting out of Niagara Falls. Everyone that was good at athletics or good at sports, they just wanted to find an avenue to get away from the city and the poverty and the downtroddenness of Niagara Falls. Now, they don't all leave, and a lot of them come back, and they have, and this is talked about in the documentary, how they, they all have this love for Niagara Falls, and they don't really abandon it emotionally, but it's just this belief that, you know, you're better off if you can go somewhere else and not have the city. I mean, Bobby, you're from there. You, you kind of know what I'm getting at, right? No, you're absolutely right. It, it just it, it feels like there's more opportunity elsewhere. Um, it's kind it's kind of like the a lot of people in Buffalo with I mean this job, a lot of different stuff. It's just you feel like you can expand more outside of Niagara Falls. Yeah, maybe it's not unique to Niagara Falls. Maybe a lot of right. inner cities are like that, but I don't know. It just seems like something that's spoken of yeah. a lot in Niagara Falls and with Niagara Falls athletes. All right, and that's going to air when? All right, 8 o'clock on ESPNU. And Mars Reel, as you mentioned, has been around for a long time. as a big audience online. This is the first time a Mars Reel production is going to be on ESPNU or national television. Oh, so they're proud of it. Yeah, ESPN that kind of shows how much they, they like this story and how much of an appeal it has. All right. Well, that's interesting. Right here in their own backyard, ESPNU, uh, uh, 8 o'clock tomorrow night. Friday night. Friday night. Filmed mostly here. You know, you'll see shots at Niagara County Community College, Niagara University, Niagara Falls High School, Niagara Falls Streets. Uh, If you're from Niagara Falls, you'll see a lot of familiar scenes and obviously, you know, the scenic aerial shots of the waterfall itself. Which we don't get enough of. Right. Which you've never seen on a sporting program before. When we come back, we're going to talk about a game that will bring you some waterfall imagery. When it's shown on the broadcast on Sunday, because you know they're going to show you uh, on CBS, you'll see shots of Niagara Falls, uh, cooks uh, yeah. flipping the wings in the in the bowl. Right? What else do you see? What else they show? There's some standard tailgating, stuff. I would think, yeah, yeah, some right? sort Bud of like light, just people or, tailgating. Bad blue sitting near a truck right. or something. Somebody yeah. in Zubas. Yeah, you know. yeah, the Zubas. Yep. People jumping through tables. They never show that on television. No, they don't. They just show the tables. They're going to try to avoid the dildo. The dildos have appeared on the on the field, though, because they happened right during live action. Right in front of Chris Hogan. Remember the ref? I don't know if he liked it or not. Remember the ref that had to kick it off? Yeah, it's at last year, you too. You remember Gronkowski? They asked him about it, and he said, I think they were throwing that at the Bills. <laughs> He's the only one that really played ball with that. That's right. Yes. As you'd expect. My junk. When we come back, more Bills Patriots talk. We're going to have Tyler Dunn from Bleacher Report. We're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on the what? What was I going to say there? I was on the Sports Radio 1270, the Fan <laughs> Radio Network. Casty. 
from the Salino and Barnes Studios. Don't wait. Call 8-WHLD Niagara Falls. Buffalo, your home for the CBS Sports Radio Network. Download the TuneIn app so you can take Sports Radio 1270 The Fan with you wherever you go. This is Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. Wet ball. Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Uh-oh. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, here with my co-host Jonah Bronstein, also in studio, as he has been throughout the season so far, week five. How many weeks in a row has this been, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic? It's got to be at least, right? Five-ish. Didn't we start the week before the the Bills, so it'll be five. This is week five of Matthew Fairburn being in studio. His Ripken-esque streak of appearing on the Tim Graham Show. Bobby Rosati, the only guy who's been here for every show. Well, Not did, even Tim Graham has been here for every show. Well, didn't we determine I did miss one day? Remember Trippy filled in for me? Oh, that's right. I have missed one. Well, you've still missed fewer than I have. Yeah, that's impressive. I get called out on assignment. I was on assignment last week. We thought it was a veteran rest day. It was. That's what Sean McDermott told us. And everybody else. That's fine. Speaking of. That was my assignment, was to rest as a veteran. Did you see this from our friend Michael Giardi? No. I talked to Michael today, but I didn't. What is he saying? Bill Belichick said today. That Josh Allen is, quote, like a running back. Hmm. My question is, will this be bulletin board material? Yeah, is that worse than what Pat Shermer said? Not really. <laughs> How about this? Maybe. I can't do I a, don't know. I can't do a good, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's like, a, this is me reading Bill Belichick's transcript. I'll see if I can yeah. pull it off. If I'm not pulling it off, please tell me to stop. The question, according to the transcript, is how difficult is it to defend the running element of Josh Allen's game, and how difficult of a player is he to take down? Yeah, definitely. He's like a running back. He breaks tackles. He's got good speed, good power, and he's shifty and avoids and breaks a lot of tackles. Yeah, that's another dimension. A sixth receiver in the passing game, if you will, and gives you another blocker in the running game when they have designed run plays for him. They've had a lot of them at critical times, a lot of big plays, touchdowns, red area, third down conversions, things like that. They use them in some timely ways, well-designed plays that create problems for the defense. He adds that element to their offense, and they've used it very effectively. So in that span of, although I probably said that too fast, if I, it would have been a little, I probably should have slowed it down a little bit. 
A little more uh, throat. Belichick. Yeah, uh, he's uh, a, so yeah. he's a running back. He's a sixth receiver and another blocker in the running game. Sixth receiver. Oh, what, I should say it mean? gives you another run, right. another blocker in the running game. When it they gives have, you a sixth receiver because a cornerback or somebody has to keep an eye on him, and it gives you an extra blocker because he's running and the running back isn't. So, see, and that's where. That quote is quite complimentary of the Bills, mm-hmm. Josh Allen, their offensive play callers. But if McDermott wanted to rile up the boys, yeah, he could spin that easily. He could take that, say, "Look what look what this guy's saying about your guy." So, what would he? What would the? What would be the insult? He's like a running back. <laughs> That's oh, the problem. If you take it out of, if you just take that part of it, yeah. If he went, if he didn't go further, it would have been a lot easier. But just cut that part off. Nobody asks about context. That's right. <laughs> All right. I don't think they'll need any extra juice this week, Tim. Do you see a level of growth from Brian Dable in his time with the Bills? Now, what is now? What's Bill Belichick going to say? He's going to be like, uh, "No, he's." Uh, <laughs> I think he's regressed. He's been a failed offensive coordinator wherever he's been, and I really haven't seen. Okay, so here's what Belichick says. Yeah, Brian's a good coach been a good coach for a long time I don't think anything's happened in the last week or two he's done a good job when he was here when he left here with other teams he's been with when he came back here he added a lot to the staff went down won a national championship with coach Saban at Alabama he's got 10 new starters on offense from the start of the year last year and they're playing pretty well he does a good job he's been doing a good job it's usable. Yeah, what are you going to do about that? What does Cole Beasley do for their offense? Yeah, Cole's an outstanding player. <laughs> He's got great quickness, can really separate. Good with the ball in his hands after the catch. He's certainly a good third down player to create that separation in those man-to-man situations on third down. What stands out to you about Frank Gore and his longevity? Yeah, fourth leading rusher all time, NFL history. I think that pretty much says it all right there. No days off. Would you describe Coach McDermott's defense as a game plan defense? No. <laughs> End of answer. <laughs> That's a great one. No, I wouldn't. Oh, okay. I know I've told this story on the air before, but my all-time greatest response is uh, uh, John Tortorella and Dave Anderchuk came back and was playing very well as the captain for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, Anderchuk had already had his second stint with the Buffalo Sabres and had contemplated retirement, and they convinced him to come to Tampa. And he, as the captain, that's the year they went on to win their first Stanley Cup. So they were obviously uh, playing well throughout the course of the season. And Tampa had come back to... HSBC Arena, as it was known at the time, and for the for the first game since he'd left the Sabers, and so it was pregame skate or after the pregame skate, and the Buffalo media is kind of gathered around, and somebody says, uh, uh, "John, uh, uh, talk about talk about what uh, Dave Anderchuk's meant to your team." No, <laughs> <laughs> and that, and then he just looked around for the next question, and then somebody knowing how he operates says, 
how would you describe what what he's meant to you and your team? And he's like, oh, well, that's a good question. And he went on with, but he was just his way of saying, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take orders from you. Talk about. Uh, I hate that. I hate when people say that. Talk up. Talk about uh, how good these. No. no, no, not gonna do it. He's done that in press conferences during the the playoffs too. That has brought much attention, but. To do it after a morning skate with like two cameras there and is like really laid back Mm. and I got a kick out of it. He's kind of like it's funny you you bring him up in this in the same vein as Belichick. I never made that connection. Well, I don't. No, but the approach to the media is definitely somewhat similar. I think it's uh, Tortorella is also close to uh, Greg Popovich. Mm. Um, That'll do it. Popovich is a guy, but I don't, even if you ask Popovich a really great question, I don't think that he's going to give you a good answer. I don't think Mm -hmm. he rewards you for asking the great question. Well, no, sometimes he does. Popovich doesn't always, Popovich always will do that in the in-game on-camera interview. He doesn't really like to participate in that. It's become a little bit of a shtick, I think. But day in and day out, he's not always... Uh, dismissive of the questions. Sometimes he is, but not usually. And sometimes he gives great answers, especially he'll answer questions about politics and things like that. You know, and topical questions that don't have to do with his team. He's not the type that's always just going to say, you know, we're on to Cincinnati. We're only focused on one day at a time. Now there's certain basketball questions and certain moods he gets in where he doesn't really want to play ball, but it's not always like that. They've both got that. Popovich and Belichick, that slight bully approach. Yes. Which I think most of us can handle. One of the interesting things about Belichick is that he will hold court on Fridays. When things, you know, the 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 game plans have been installed on offense, defense, special teams. You've had your last practice. There's really nothing left to do except get on the plane on Saturday and, and head to the game. Everything's the work's pretty much been done. And he will sit there and, and talk with reporters uh, about anything, really a lot of minutia. They talk about uh, color old stories from back in the day. And he really lightens up as the week goes on. But on Friday? On Fridays. That's what he's kind of known for. It's 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 fascinating really it's like it, an early morning thing too. Not like super early, but early enough that Maybe, you know, weed some people out. Friday in general weeds people out, but I think it's like a 9 or 8 a.m. deal, which if you're covering the Patriots and you got to get out to Foxborough at 8 or 9 in the morning, it's a... You've been covering the team all week, and a lot of reporters may take Friday off. Yeah, especially if you're... you probably don't live right next to Gillette Stadium. No, you're coming from Boston or Providence. Rush hour commute to get out there. I mean... Hartford... So he makes you earn it, but but he'll. Uh, I've been to one of those. They're they're good times. He's he's much less. You know, he's smiling occasionally. It's interesting. Did you did you ask a question? I did not. I was not there for. I was mostly an observer. I was there to write about. Uh, at the time, Alan Branch was who I was there to talk to. Oh my! Um, I was also just in town early for the holidays, but. Um, I remember sitting back and watching as Phil Perry and Bill Belichick dished back and forth. So Bill is, uh, Bill's not always bad. And his conference call with 
visiting reporters, I think is the best conference, best two conference calls with a visiting coach we get all year. Adam Gaze is close, but nobody cares what Adam Adam Gaze has to say. Quite frankly, everybody cares what Bill Belichick says, even though he says nothing, and he can get a little bit wordy on these conference calls and answer questions. And for some reason, everything Bill Belichick says is news. It's weird. If, well, the thing that's interesting about Bill Belichick, too, from the me, from a, the standpoint of the medium that you're dealing with, he's terrible on video and because of the sound. And it's the way he talks, and it's the way he, he mumbles it out, and he shows no emotion, and he's a mannequin up there. But typed out in written form, his answers have a lot more insight. You're not looking for emotion or the tone of his voice or inflection. You're just reading the information for what it is. And it actually, a lot of times you're in a news conference situation with Belichick, or at least I have been on occasion where I said, he didn't say anything. And I go back and transcribe the tape. And I'm like, oh, there's all kinds of usable stuff in here. He also does this thing on the conference call, not all the time, but sometimes, where you ask him a question and... He sighs, and then he pauses for <laughs> a couple of seconds. Bill, what do you think of – there was one year where somebody asked him something that was wrong. Somebody asked him something about his offense or his defense, what they were doing schematically that was wrong, and he just <sighs> – and then it was five, ten seconds before he finally just shot the question down, and the eager young reporter – followed back up and it was it was not pretty but he he he'll really make you earn it but like you said when you think about what he's saying and I think it's why the conference call setting is good there's nothing visual about it and that eager young reporter was Jerry Sullivan <laughs> yes Michael Rodak <laughs> no I don't know the person's name but it speaks to your point where because we can't see him and because it's short, it's 10 minutes, and we don't get them all the time, Bills fans are like, oh, what's Bill Belichick saying about us? So They do get off on what he has to say, all the complimentary stuff, and I think that fans don't realize that he's saying all that stuff about every team, about the fan base. The fan base has been making waves uh, this past couple of days. Uh, he's talking about how these fans, they, they go there for the game. They're there for a full 60 minutes. They're there to watch football. Um, he used to talk up Fred Jackson, you know, Kyle to, Williams. And he, there's a guy and be like, yeah, he likes our guys. One year, he just went through the whole roster on defense. Oh, what do you think of the defense? Oh, man, they're great. Kyle Williams, Marcel Darius. And he just <laughs> read them all off. And it was like, you're not saying anything. You're just... <laughs> And somebody made a point one year, they were joking that he read off a player who wasn't on the team anymore. He was just listing off players off the top of his head who were on the Bills offense. Oh, it's a dangerous group. And and then you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be a good answer. Look at all these players he knows. And then he would get to a player and you're like, all right, now we know that he's full of garbage here because he's literally named off every offensive player he can think of. But it's it's interesting because I always, and maybe this is just me reading too much into things, but Reed, I always read Ferguson. Yeah, read Ferguson. Long snappers. Garrison Sanborn has just been doing a terrific job. Bill, they <laughs> cut him six years ago, but like early in the week, Tom Brady made that comment about 
Bills fans. And then Belichick the next day is saying all these nice things. And then today, Sean McDermott had maybe his most useful press conference in weeks. He was expansive. He was heaping praise on... He was offering answers to everything. He wasn't giving the Patriots anything that they could use or anything like that. But compared to Monday, which I thought was almost like a low point, but thinking it's Patriots week, he's he's giving us his best Belichick, and then the Patriots went the other way. I don't know. Maybe that's me reading too much into it, but I almost thought he's like, well, wait a second. I got to I gotta be nicer, I guess. <laughs> I'll do it that way. <laughs> Let me try no, I didn't listen today. How was the dynamic with Jerry Sullivan? He, he just answered the question. Yeah. He didn't like laugh or be like, ah, there you are again, Jerry. Yeah. It was he answered the question and it was a useful answer. And what was Jerry's I'm trying to well, remember what they Jerry's just sent the transcript was. out. So I think it was about the pets getting averaging like a hundred something yards on the Bills. Oh yeah. Uh rushing averaging something a, like that. Yeah, hundred and eighty three rushing yards yeah. in the Four games. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And four games as a head coach against the Patriots, you've allowed 183 yards a game on the ground. Do you expect that they'll come out and continue to do that until you prove you can stop it? Excellent question, by the way. And Sean said, yeah, I mean, they've beaten us four times. So, you know, it's we've got our work cut out for us, whether it's the pass or the run game, and this is a really good offense. You know, like I said before, you take away one thing, and then here they come with another thing. So it's just like – it's like you wade into the ocean and you're up to your neck and the waves just keep coming. That was a great quote when he right. said that. And he said that happens great imagery. a lot because they have that volume where they can spin the dial and try to beat you another way if you're taking away what they're doing well. And I was like, all right, it's a good quote. It's a good quote. It's a usable quote. And the Patriots can't sit there and say, well, look what he said there. Now we've got to do this or that. And I've always wondered about Patriots week if teams or coaches think about that like Belichick's watching this or not Belichick himself, but Belichick has assigned somebody to watch this. And or Well, we've seen it on NFL Films Productions that what the Patriots would do before a Super Bowl. You know, they don't have faith like before the the first game against the the Rams in which they won their their first Super Bowl with Tom Brady. All these he does pull out the uh, the bulletin board material and they will use whatever they can and uh, so yeah I'm guessing that other teams do based on all the different behind the scenes things because you think of the Patriots as not being a behind the scenes team but there was a book Michael Holly wrote Patriot Rain which was a uh, he was embedded with the Patriots for a full season he was a Boston Globe reporter at the time or columnist and now he's uh, does radio in Boston but they've they do things for NFL films they do let you behind the scenes and because they've been so good they've had the, the more exposure than anybody else so the behind the scenes Super Bowl stuff and whatever so anyway the point I'm making is Coaches ha- can glean a lot of things from the Patriots, the Patriot way, uh, quote unquote, that maybe you can't from other successful teams. You can actually look back behind the curtain with, through books, through magazine articles, through NFL films and see, all right, so this is how Belichick operates. And a big part of it is the motivational aspect of it. And he does use uh, that bulletin board material. Or would he be using it too to be like, could he get some clues? from Brian Dable's press conference or whatever it may be. I mean, I'm sure he's got somebody assigned to read or 
watch all these things. And like you said, maybe there's a little thing they could pick out and use in a team meeting to fire the guys up. Or maybe there's something they say that's just a little off that makes them dig in. And it seems like a weird game that could be played. And I don't know how much it's played, but I'm sure it's in the back of Sean McDermott's mind. Or I, I always wonder that. Like Brian Dable walks up to the podium Patriots week and it's like, you think Bill's watching this, Brian? You know, like, or does that make you nervous yeah. that Bill might be watching or somebody over there is watching? Yeah, he would know, right? Where, whereas, like, Jets week, you're probably just like, yeah, sure, watch my press conference. <laughs> then it's like, wait, the Patriots are watching? What am I saying? What am I doing? Did I say something wrong? And I don't know. People are just, there's a mystique about that team that makes people act weird and makes players act weird. I enjoyed your question today to to Sean McDermott where, you know, guys get out on the field and almost, like, don't know what to do sometimes just because they're playing against Tom Brady yeah. and Bill Belichick. Oh, my God, there's Tom Brady right there warming up. He's right there. And there, there's Bill Belichick walking around, checking on his guys. I mean, there are maybe not too many guys on the roster right now because they're still – I guess you would look over just last year and be like, that's Rob Gronkowski. Right. I used to be that guy in Madden. I used to try to be him. I used to I have his jersey at home. I had whatever. Or, you know, even a few years back when they'd have more of the veteran type guys, you know, if how if Vinatieri was out there. I'm guessing Hauschka does that when the Bills play the Colts. He's probably like, "Man, that's Vinatieri right there." I, well, like Sean McDermott was saying, "Oh yeah, a lot of these guys watched him play in the Super Bowl last year." I'm like, "No, think about what was it? 2001 was the first Super Bowl, right?" With mm-hmm. yeah, with Brady. So I was 9. There's a lot of guys on the Bills roster younger than I am. And so, yeah, his first Super Bowl, they were like, that might have been the first Super Bowl they ever watched. Now they're up against him. Yep. That's a unique thing that in football doesn't happen as much as maybe, you know, baseball kid comes in and it's like, you know, there's a aging pitcher or something, but it doesn't happen that often in football. There are some ghosts, you know, they talk about the Notre Dame ghosts or whatever, and I don't think that college kids today are really all that wrapped up in the Notre Dame mythology, but I think in the in the 90s even still they they were uh the 80s, you know, you're thinking of well, all the greats and Newt Rockney and the whole thing and um whatever. All right, we need to get to a break. But there is a mistake there. I I agree. It's uh there's you're competing against uh, you're competing against yourself sometimes. It's kind of uh, like when I'm in, in studio with to Tim Graham. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure There's of a it. legacy there. I'm sure of it. All right, when we come back, we're going to have Tyler Dunn from Bleacher Report. We're going to talk foosball. <laughs> <laughs> on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner, 
a quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. Is Sports Radio 1270 the fan? The Tim Graham Show. What are you looking at now? Nothing. What are you looking at now? Nothing. Here's what the poor boob looks like. I've got news for you. This poor boob is you. Taking your calls at 270-1270. The Tim Graham Show. Are we going? We're on here. We're gonna let my turn to talk. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. I am Tim Graham of the Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein, Matthew Fairburn, Bobby Rosati. Joined on the line now by Tyler Dunn of the Bleacher Report. He covers the NFL for them. Does the long form features. He's working on, uh, can we say what you're working on? Or do you like to, even if it's out of superstition, do you not want to talk about that? Well, you know what? We could talk about it, and maybe I just uh, redirect and fool everybody and just make stuff up and just go a new direction, right? So there could be some of that at play, but no, we can talk about whatever I'm working on. Well, then I'm not going to ask you about that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna that ask you like questions. Waste of a segment. Yeah, ask you questions that make you lie to me. <laughs> I'd never tell Tim Graham a lie. Come on now, Tyler. Are the Cleveland Browns going to make the playoffs? Absolutely yes. Wow. Too much talent. Too Absolutely much talent. yes. I thought you'd at least you know dither and we'd go a little back and forth on it, but you're just coming out of the shoot and saying, "Yeah, absolutely." I think we're all prisoners of the moment, and it's early. They've got a lot of injuries. Freddie Kitchens had to get a vote of confidence from the front office already. It's only been three weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that it's three weeks. They've got a tough schedule. I get it. I mean, he's he's had a pretty rough uh, first three games as a play caller. I don't know what possessed him to call that draw on, what was it, fourth and nine um, and you know, Baker Mayfield, I mean, he's just, he seems like he's bailing on the pocket every other play. So there's there's some issues there. I, I just feel like we see this every year where there's always a, a really talented team early on that struggles. I mean, the Patriots have been like that a handful of times, and eventually you see that, what would it be, a progression to the mean. I mean, just it, it, the cream just will rise to the top. It's a, not a very great division. I, the Steelers are – you know, going through their issues, uh, I guess Lamar Jackson took the NFL by storm the first couple weeks, but you know, a good defensive coordinator is going to figure out ways to at least slow him down a little bit. I, I think they'll just figure it out. There's, there's just too much talent on the team to not. There is a lot of talent. Uh, let me just give you a couple of thoughts about the upcoming schedule here, Tyler. Four of their next five games are on the road including their next two. They're at Baltimore, big rivalry game. Uh, anytime uh, Cleveland goes at Baltimore, um, at San Francisco, the 49ers are playing well, so they have to go all the way out to the West Coast. Then they get to return home for Seattle. Uh, that's not easy. Then they have a bye week. That's nice. But then they're at New England and then at Denver. 
And Denver is a should be a victory in a vacuum, you would think. But when you're talking about your fourth game on the road out of five games and four out of six weeks, if you're going to throw in the bye, that's a rough go. And I think we could be looking at Freddie Kitchens really on the hot seat if they are still underwater uh, heading into mid-November. And that would be the game in Cleveland against Buffalo. So once they finish this stretch, they finally return home. Uh, to play uh, Buffalo on November 10th. That's a brutal stretch. I mean, it really is. And we're starting to kind of figure out you know, who the, the, the contenders are, who the pretenders are. So, yeah, there's that many just games that you'd write off as a win. Just, I, I think that Freddie Kitchens, we forget, he did call plays last year and that second half of the season. They were doing a lot of innovative things. On the fly, you think back to that play where Baker Mayfield kind of just like flipped the ball to himself and hit a player down the seam. I, I just think like I don't think he's a dunce, you know. I, I think that Alabama and you know uh, lineage and the way he kind of talks, it throws people off, and they think, "Oh, this guy is just like from, from another era. He's not on the cutting edge of." Are you saying people who live in Alabama really are stupid? I think that I think people just kind of assume that he's behind the times just by the way he talks. It's so matter of fact, and he's blunt, and it's refreshing in a lot of ways. I, I think I think he can he sneaks up on people. There's got to be a reason. Like, way too many people are calling for the guy's head three games into a season. It's kind of ridiculous. Mike Rodak lives in Alabama, and I don't think he's that bright. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's obvious. We're in com- in conversation with the Bleacher Reports, Tyler Dunn. I'm a, I was I'm always hesitant as to what you call. I, you're you're is NFL reporter. That's not inaccurate, but it's not. It doesn't hit the bullseye. NFL features writer, senior writer. That's what I would call him. Are you senior? Are you senior writer? Is that your title? Uh, you know, I'm 31. I'm not quite of senior status. I guess I think features writer works. We can go with that. Writer at large. That's what I want to You know, be. I have been showing up for dinner, I guess, a little early. You know, eating dinner around four, you know, 5 o'clock. That might, have, that might make me a senior at times. Making sure you're in bed after the 10 o'clock news? Oh, yeah, exactly. Lights off by 10, waking up at 7. So, you know, rise and grinding at 7. So, yeah, maybe I'm a senior. Tyler Dunn, what are your thoughts on these Oakland Raiders? Antonio Brown scandal has come and gone. I think... It seems like old news. It seems like it's so long ago because Antonio Brown had his issues with the Patriots, uh, and he's since gone from there. But uh, everything that's been happening out in Oakland, how do you feel John Gruden's uh, holding things together? Not good. Not good. And, you know, it dates back to the decision to not pay up for Khalil Mack and yeah, I mean, I guess the analytics people loved it, and they got a lot of picks out of it, and John Gruden's got the security to kind of make a move like that, but we forget, you know, in a locker room, that resonates. And I just remember being around the team for a, for a little while last year, and, and that's what players pointed to as, you know, I, I, think he, I don't think he lost the locker room completely then, but there's a lot of skepticism when you let one of your most you know, loyal players, a hardworking guy, let alone the most talented pass rusher and league just just leave and then you tell an Amari Cooper that he's going to stick around that he's not going anywhere and he's literally pulled off the practice field because he's traded I, I think that he lost a lot of trust back then and uh 
Yeah, I mean, you know, he his style. There are guys who say, "Hey, I'd run through a wall for the guy." He's got the old school kind of motivational uh, tactics, but just in terms of dealing with that modern day player and all the potential problems that people thought could arise when he left the broadcast booth after ten years, uh, I think that it's kind of bubbled to the surface. And this is this is a coaching him back to Tampa Bay. You know, folks telling me how he would just lose patience with young players. Like, he, you know, he has a very complicated offensive system. I mean, we all hear the verbiage. Of, you know, a simple play call could have 13, 14 words for crying out loud. And he just is so demanding that he would lose patience with young guys. So I, I never understood the whole trade away a Cleo Mack for a bunch of picks. Think about the future. Think about Vegas. Develop young players when that's just not his um personality and to just have that patience i I just don't see it ending well tyler how i mean you get to see a lot of these teams now and we get wrapped up in our little bubble here in buffalo and everybody's talking about this three and oh bills team and how much different they are but when you look around the league and i know we'll learn quite a bit this weekend but how good do you think this bills team is relative to some of the other legitimate contenders in both conferences? That's a great question, Mr. Fairburn. You got a lot of those. Uh, I do my I think best. <laughs> you look at the schedule, there's no reason they shouldn't finish, you know, 11-5, 10-6. I mean, it's, it's a pretty easy schedule. I mean, and it's similar to a couple years ago when there were just a ton of injuries. I mean, guys are already just dropping like flies all over the AFC. I mean, they, they there should be no excuse like for this team not to make the playoffs, given how everything's kind of been breaking for them right now. And you know, it's you know, it's not exactly uh, news breaking that it comes down to the quarterback and and Josh Allen. I mean. Just the people around the league that have talked to the, the opinions are all over the board. I'm, I'm trying to think back. There was one guy pretty high in personnel with one team who said what the Bills are doing is ridiculous. This is right before the season because, you know, you, you, you don't win with defense and a running game and a quarterback that you just hope doesn't screw up, and that's how he viewed Josh Allen. He didn't see the Bills really going anywhere. And then uh, a guy in personnel is even higher than this one, an assistant GM with a team who was scouting that quarterback class pretty heavily thinks that Josh Allen is way better than a Sam Darnold and says that this is somebody who just kind of slows the game down to a crawl and, and just kind of shucks you off with a stiff arm here and, and sidesteps you there and, and, and just has that Ben Roethlisberger like presence back there to just play at, at his speed however he wants and thinks that he, he, he can stick and thinks the Bills – are doing creative things schematically, you know, Brian Dayball. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know which way it's going to swing. I mean, it should swing that direction, though, given their schedule, that uh, that should be the expectation. And, you know, whatever Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean are saying, I know they play it coy, and whenever they're asked about expectations by you guys day to day, they kind of brush it off and are vague. But, you know, internally, that that has to be what they're thinking, playoffs or bust. What do you think Western New Yorkers will 
do if the Bills don't make the playoffs? Do you? Where do you? You you still live here. A lot of people just may not know that. So for the record, you are immersed here in Western New York. You grew up here. Um, where do you think the fans' expectations are on this ride? With uh, you know, hot start, still a lot of games to be played, but there's excitement with this young quarterback. Like you say, uh, people are rightfully optimistic about the defense. But if things – do you think it's playoffs or bust for the fans also? I, I, I think it is, but that's where our – McDermott has been so careful. I mean, he's definitely just gone the other direction from Rex Ryan. I mean, obviously Rex Ryan would, would tell anybody to listen that it was playoffs or bust, and that was the expectation. And I guess you see this with any team that fires a coach and goes to somebody else. The Bills just went so far in the other direction, it just seems like – it almost seems like they're having meetings literally talking about how to uh, just keep expectations at a minimum at every opportunity and that, and to seep that into the minds of fans so they don't get their hopes up. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, the results kind of have to speak for themselves. They were 6-10 and 10 last year. This is year three of a regime. They're out in San Francisco with the 49ers when I was around them this offseason. I mean, from Fred Warner to Jimmy Garoppolo to Richard Sherman to John Lynch himself, it was. I mean, they're, they're talking Super Bowl, and they they use those words and don't you know don't make apologies. You don't really hear that in Buffalo, but you got to think that the fans would expect a team in year three of a rebuild to make the playoffs, and if they don't, then they better see something out of Josh Allen. They better have a reason to be excited about him, because if they don't, then there absolutely should be change. I think a counter to that, though, Tyler, is that the fans have been so beaten up over the years and have seen hot starts going back to that five and one season under um, uh, with Trent Edwards, and there've yeah. been a couple of hot starts here or there where they they get the rug pulled out from underneath them. That I wonder if the fan base has been, I guess, uh, jaded enough or beaten up enough that they they they'll believe it when they see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to really to gauge. I don't know how do you gauge that. Is it Facebook? Is it Twitter? Is it anecdotally in person? How? Yeah, I think I it's wherever you get it. Like wherever you you know at the yeah. bar, you know the, the whoever, <laughs> your chat with the bartender, uh, the guy right. at the at the uh, gas station. Uh, yeah, you're uh, just wherever you get it from. Family, you get friends. Your That's yeah. right. I don't see them. Pandora's box. Sister. Oh, yeah, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, my wife's sister just, I think she just tweeted out, I would die for Josh Allen. And that seems to be like the sentiment everywhere. <laughs> so people love this guy. I, I don't know. I don't get the sense that they're that jaded from that Trent Edwards start. I mean, that was what, 08? That was a long time ago. Even Fitz and 11 was a long time ago. I, I think that they've been pretty bad since then, that everybody's genuinely jacked up right now. Well, Tyler, thanks for joining us and sharing us uh, sharing with us your thoughts. Uh, we did not get into the story you're working on because I don't want to uh, jinx you in any way. I know you're a big jinx guy. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll talk I about that. that. We'll talk about that story after it's been released. And it was good doing business with you in fantasy football earlier, Tim. I appreciate that deal. Big trade between Tyler Dunn and Tim Graham. Nasty guy that time, making some underhanded deals. 
I got oh, me, yeah. I got oh, me a running back. I had, I was flush with tight ends. I had three good tight ends. I needed a running back. I made a deal that was good. It was it was a fair offer too. I don't come up with I don't try to squeeze people for deals. When I make an offer for a, a trade, if it doesn't go, and usually if somebody tries to squeeze me back, I'm like, oh well, no, then I'm not, let's not do it at it's all. It's got to be quality on your I, end. That's right. It's got to be quality right. on both sides. I thought it was a fair trade. Well, I tried to squeeze you back, and then you didn't budge, so I just hit accept before you were. Yeah, there was getting to be exactly. too much thought involved. Ty tried to squeeze me earlier this week, and then well, he, and then there was a trade, and then no, no <laughs> trade. Oh. Too much See? squeezing. Yeah. I- Tyler, we'll talk to you soon. Jen, it was a pleasure. You got it. Thanks for joining the show. That's Tyler Dunn, a Bleacher Report, giving us uh, his thoughts from around the AFC, I can say, because I don't think we had an NFC team. He mixed in some 49er talk. Yeah, there was some 49ers in there. He forced that. He forced his agenda there. We didn't ask about the 49ers. We're going to get into the Buffalo Bills-Patriots breakdown from Vegas. Spreads, totals. Any other parlays, in-game betting, whatever Joel Staniszewski wants to talk about when we come back on the Tim Graham Show. Brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Reintroducing the hostess. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Oh, I got it. He's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city of it. It's more like a royal flush. Is that Joel's band at the end? No, that's uh, Slipknot. Oh. He's in there, though. He's, at, he's uh, I think, halfway through. Joel, what's going on in your music career these days? Oh, I'm actually playing in two bands now, so I sing for one band. Uh, we're called The End of Everything, and I play drums in another band called Suffer the Law. And these are, uh, nice. this is like uh, Yacht Rock? <laughs> yeah, we wear like uh, deck shoes and we tie sweaters around our neck. Yeah, I can tell <laughs> double, by the names of your bands. Double polo shirts. Do a lot of Christopher Cross uh, covers. <laughs> A lot of Michael McDonald. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Uh, what is the version? I, I. It's not thrash metal. What? What is the? What's the genre? We've talked uh, about hardcore. this before. Hard, just hardcore. Just straight hardcore. Yep. Nice. Yeah. We 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 sound like uh, both bands kind of sound like those mid nineties to late nineties hardcore bands. Right. That you don't know anything about. <laughs> no, I know a little bit about that. I mean, I was big into heavy metal in the '90s. Give me a, give me a, what Black Flag? Uh, that's more of like '80s style hardcore. We're like in the uh, you know later '90s, heavier with breakdowns. You know, uh, yeah. Earth Crisis, Integrity, Snapcase of the oh. world. Local band, right? Snapcase. Snapcase, yeah, probably one of the best local bands of all time in Buffalo. Well, Goo Goo Dolls has to be up there. Goo Goo Dolls is way up there. I mean, they're the greatest band on the planet, so I'm a little biased towards them in the first place. But when it comes to, like, underground local bands, Snapcase is definitely the biggest and best. I'm trying to think of the guy uh, who is the uh, Paul uh, Sartori, Tom Sartori. 
Yeah, I'm such right. a... Is he still around and kicking it like uh, Mr. Goodbar and, and somewhere had, on yes. uh, Chip Strip? Is he? He did a show uh, a couple weeks ago. I, it was either Armour In uh, or Mr. Goodbar because I, I, I did the read for him. He had a high oh. finish in the World Series of Poker in like 06 or 07. He made a lot of money, and I, he was going to sink it back into his career by going out to L.A. and doing putting it into some production and... I don't know whatever came of his. I get the impression like he could be doing studio sessions or something like that. Some money in that. Tom Sartori, if you're listening, call in. <laughs> so, uh, tell us about this Bills Patriots matchup. It uh, started off as uh, the Bills being six point underdogs. Uh, Vegas uh, so far seems to think that uh, they're going to get throttled uh, because uh, it's already up to seven. Yeah, a couple of books opened at six right away, and that line moved to six and a half immediately. Uh, and then a couple of books came in later and opened at seven and a half. And, bo- and all of these books have kind of just settled at seven right now. Uh, yeah, of course, the majority of money is, is coming in on the Patriots. Uh, I feel like we have this conversation twice a year, every year. Yes. Uh, you don't need to, you know, the stats about Tom Brady against Buffalo is just absurd. He's 30-3 and three in his career, straight up against the Bills. He's 15-1 uh, and one straight up against the Bills in Buffalo. He's 12-2-1 against the spread in Buffalo. Uh, he's just uh, done everything you could imagine to us on the field. And every year we think this is our year that we're going to finally you know, get better and he's going to get worse. And the last uh, couple of games that he, uh, the Patriots have played, uh, against Buffalo when we've had McDermott as the head coach. He actually had four bad games. Uh, it just so happens that the Bills have played worse games for those four games. We just don't score against them. So we can stop them on defense, and we have since McDermott has taken over. We just can't score, and that's the same thing for the three opponents that they've faced this year. They haven't given up a touchdown yet. So uh, they we have to show that we've actually done something on offense to, to shore up our offensive line to be able to, to run uh, significantly and actually complete passes and get separation for our receivers. So until, until we can prove that, uh, the, the, the line is going to constantly be bet more on, on the Patriots. And the number has gone down in terms of the total. It opened at 44. It's down to 42 or 42.5, depending on where you get your uh, your action. Um, is that indicative of just two good defenses? And even though New England has had a uh, – they've been pretty prolific offensively through three games, but it seems as though the betting public uh, is expecting New England to be held in check by Buffalo's defense. Yeah, New England, uh, without Gronk and – what happened? There we go. Hold on. Well, we're almost out of time. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll say, how about this? We'll get him in for the last. I'll say thanks to Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and Jonah Bronstein for being here in studio, for Bobby Rosati, to, uh, he, as all the work that he did and trying to do as he scrambles here uh, to get Joel Staniszewski on the line to pretty much say, hey, Joel, thanks. Hey. Sorry, we're we're at, we kind of were running out of time there, but you were saying let's get this last uh, point in on the total. 
the, the total is, is just showing the Bills' defense is, is a solid defense. The Patriots have a great defense. So we just, whoever's going to score, it's not going to be a, a high-scoring game, says the betting public. Right. All right. Well, Joel, thanks for joining us. And um, let's get some. Uh, can you send Bobby some uh, some clips? We'll play some of your band yeah. on, the, on next week's show. Yeah, sounds good. I want to hear what you guys are up to. All right, sounds good. All right, All right. we'll be in touch. Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas, uh, as he is every week on the Tim Graham Show during the fall. Uh, when we come back, it'll be seven days from now. I look forward. I almost to it. just fell into a regular break. <laughs> When we come back, we'll hear more from uh, ooh, this guy who comes on after us that we... <laughs> Bill Ryder? Yeah, whoever that. We, <laughs> we enjoyed Bill. Good night. <laughs> oh, wait. One more plug. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Shampoo Travis, b and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Give them a call at 716-630-2400 for assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, and practically any other business operations you can think about. Catch you next week on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can.